one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Oh, my David, Kieran Murphy, Irish Times, Second Captain's Podcast. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. I'm good. I haven't asked you yet. Yes, I'm telling you I'm good. Uh, <laughs> good you stuff. don't need to say anything. Oh, this, is, this, is a very, this is a very, uh, I don't know, postmodern way of presenting a podcast. You're going to preempt the questions I'm about to ask you. I mean, this will work. It's fine. We'll just edit out the bits that go wrong. I'm, and... I'm trying to remember the... The sketch show that actually did that. Oh, really? Where you answered the, que- the, the, oh, yeah. the the previous question that you've been at. Uh, I don't think it's going to work. Tweet us at Second Captains if you can remember the name of that sketch show. Even by the standards of Premier League footballers having to say nice things about their new managers and the build-up to the new season, which is one of my favourite parts of pre-season, actually. Yeah. The Man City players are really laying it on thick for their new boss, well, Pep Guardiola. wouldn't you? <laughs> Pep, we love your methods. We love everything about you. Okay, first you had Fabian Delft saying he's learned more under Guardiola in three weeks than he has in his entire career. All you other managers I worked under basically didn't teach me anything, is what Delft says there. Now you've got Gail Clichy siding with his new boss and with his new boss and against some of his pudgy teammates mm-hmm. who've started off on the wrong foot apparently with Guardiola. If, you're, if your weight is too high, says Clichy, you're not training with the team. So we have a few players who are not training with the team yet. <laughs> you, you have to take responsibility. You have to know that if your weight is 60 kilograms and you are on 70 kilograms, then you cannot play because you're going to get injured and get your team in trouble. He's also cut out some juices and pizza. I think this was mentioned by Ken recently. Mm-hmm. He's, he has officially cut out pizza and also all the heavy food not allowed. So I don't know what cliche classes as heavy food if pizza isn't included in that. Some people think that's normal. It should be like this, but it's not always like this. And I know because I've been playing football for a long time. It's very refreshing, very exciting. He just wants us to trust him. He wants us to us he, he wants to trust us and I think it's the right way to start a relationship. Well, saying nice things about your new boss is definitely the right way, Gail. Well, if I was Fabio Delph, I <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be thinking, well, what's he done for me lately this Guardiola fellow? I mean, mm. what have you really achieved in the in the game, Pep Guardiola? Come and impress me. You can imagine with this, though, that the, I mean, that this weight thing has got to be a touchy subject for footballers. We're not talking about lads coming in at a stone and a half over. Although, in fairness, uh, Clichy suggests that some, you know, in his example, one guy is 10 kilograms. Yeah, that's yeah. probably fair enough that you're not allowed to trade. But I would imagine there's a bit of grumbling from the fatties in the squad. Going, this is this guy. Like, we come, we come over two kilograms over what we were at the end of last season and he's not letting us in the team. Then you've got Clichy coming out and saying, no, he's right. Yeah. These guys have to go and... 
Hit the, I mean, it's called the, the close. It's called the holidays for a reason. I come back fat. That's you know, that's part of the it's deal. The way it used you know, to be, I train it? for for ten months. Well, I mean, if you've gone to the Euros, it's more like an eleven-month season. Maybe even more than that. I mean, how many weeks are these guys getting off? I don't know. But I mean, two or three weeks off. I mean, I would say that it's my constitutional right, mm-hmm. almost a duty, I would say, on to come back to training a couple of kilograms overweight. I don't think that's that's unfair at all. Jose's not letting his boys have a lot of fun either. Uh, I, lo- I love these questions as well. You know, so Jose Mourinho is going to be your new boss in a couple of months. What do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. He's going to be great. I think he's going to be really good. Well, he's clamping down on one new phenomenon. Our uh, club source told the Daily Star that Jose loves having a great relationship with his players and staff. He thinks it's great for them to chill and relax away from training and games. He's still finding his way around Old Trafford and, and uh, he says the only thing that he's picked up on is... Oh, sorry, some of these are quotes and some might be the actual mm. article. So I'll skip to the, the main bit. For 48 hours before a match, he wants the guys to leave Pokemon Go alone and concentrate on the tactics he and his staff have been working on in the days beforehand. So that's his... Big 40, 48 hours. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have thought a, bl- a blanket ban on Pokemon Go would, w- first of all, well, I mean, I, I suppose people are free to do what they want to do. I mean, I just, I worry about how many, you know, grown adults are actually playing Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many Manchester United players are we actually talking about here? Quite, I, would, I would say quite a few. You're talking about men in their 20s? God. Largely, I would say a decent percentage. I mean... Fair chunk of the squad. Okay, you, you've obviously boned up on your Pokemon Go on. Um, no, I've, I mean, is I, it not, I, is I, it not I, a kid's I, thing, no? I continue to studiously avoid it, actually. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know what it is. I was a little late to the party. I, I, I understand the premise now. I've yeah. seen some people acting strangely, and I've put it down to that, <laughs> to the big Pokemon <laughs> Go. But I've, I've tried to stay away. But then I'm thinking, is this just one of these things I stay away from initially, like Twitter, and then ultimately end up, it becomes this like pretty important part of my life. Maybe Pokemon Go will become. What about that. mobile phones? Were you? Uh, oh, I was really slow on that. Yeah. Where? Oh, I was probably yeah amongst the last I would say of my peers. Mm. Like as in, I was being laughed at for not having a mobile phone. And my yeah. argument was, I don't need one. I've got a happy life. I'm enjoying myself here. Yeah. And their and they their point was, yes, but we can't contact you. And I'm like, you can, you can, you can ring my mum. Yeah, I mean, how <laughs> you um, can have a five minute chat with a slightly awkward chat with like whoever picks up the phone at home. You're, uh, you're keeping well. Yeah, no, you? I'm good. Yeah, how's it? Yeah, they're good. Yeah, is his yeah. own there? No, he's not. He should be back. I think he's playing football. You know those conversations. Good, good. Want. I'll call. Actually, could you get him to call me? <laughs> <laughs> I might be just doing you know a couple of things. Make but, him uh, talk to my mum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the way to do it. All right. Yeah. So I don't know. I might. Uh, I might catch up with Pokemon Go. Eventually, I don't know. I, I don't see it on. I don't see you as a big Pokemon Go guy. But hey, who knows? I mean, I'm you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm just extrapolating. Here. I don't know if the Cork players or the Donegal players are involving Pokemon Go this week. Murphy, I do know that they've got a winner takes all match, uh, all around quarter final this weekend. The last time they played at this stage of the competition, they did have that. There was a famous semi final in 2012. All right, uh, which Donegal won. Uh, was one of their more impressive wins on the way to their All Ireland. But in 2009. It was the last time they played at the quarterfinal stage and Cork put one goal and 27 points on a pre-Jim McGuinness Donegal team. Yeah. Uh, a huge scoreline they put up at that stage. And it was embarrassing. I, like, yeah. I remember the, the game, I think Cork were playing into the, into the hill end in the second half and the hill was completely deserted and the whole thing just had the look of a testimonial. It was, just, it was a ridiculously one-sided game. Uh, and Donegal had been beaten by Antrim in the Ulster final or in the Ulster quarter final that uh, that year. Uh, they beat Carlo and Clare. They beat a Galway team that were like it was a six day turnaround for Galway. I think they had lost in the Connacht, in the Connacht Championship in round four of the qualifiers in a terrible game. Oh, 
utterly awful game. Uh, but Donegal were nowhere. They were going nowhere, and they looked like it was just, you know, like the half football team, half stag party line could have been invented for the Donegal 2009 vintage. And nine of those players, nine of those outfield players went on to win the Ulster title with Jim McGuinness like two years later. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was a ri- th- that game was, if you had said that one of those two teams, that both of those teams were going to win All-Ireland in the next three years, I mean, you'd be l- laughed out of it. Uh, and yet, for Cork, that was near enough. Yeah, at that stage, they had a, absolute surfeit of brilliant players uh, just uh, every single year it seemed they were getting an, an, another new brilliant couple of players from successful under 21 teams yeah how do Cork in- incorporate all these amazing players was uh, I remember one of the debates at the time yeah 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 too and, many great players and as it was they went on to win the All-Ireland the next year alright fell over the line beating down in an Ireland final and then after that they've just kind of gone nowhere so it's kind of interesting to look back I mean it's not a million years ago a lot of player, a lot of those Donegal players a lot of those nine that w- went on that were playing that day to win the Ulster title two years after that a lot of them are still playing Frank McLean the McGee's Carol Lacey Rory Kavanagh Colin McFadden Michael Murphy all those guys were playing mm. uh, and it's shocking to think that uh, that they've gone through whatever it is I mean if, huge period of success and now we're talking about them being over the hill uh, and that's all happened in the, the seven years yeah, since yeah, that, that game that's all happened at- and yet, most people are tipping Donegal to win. They're fairly hot favourites for this game, which says a lot about where Cork is at at the moment. And we're going to focus on how Cork went from where they were in 2009-2010 to where they are now, where they can't even get many people tipping them up against a supposedly over-the-hill Donegal team. Uh, Derek Kavanagh was involved with Cork back then and will talk to us on the programme today. The USPGA is underway in Bal- Baltusrol in Springfield, New Jersey. Just another nondescript course put forward by the USPJ for its flagship event, I hear you say, Murph? No. No, that's not what I say at oh. all. Well, actually, apparently the course is fairly nondescript, but <laughs> it does have a pretty interesting backstory. We'll link to Josh Sens' article on golf.com, named after a gentleman called Baltas Roll, who was uh, living a very happy, idyllic life on mm-hmm. the grounds, uh, farming the land where the golf course is uh, now thrifty gentleman though thrifty gentleman apparently but uh, he had a little bit of cash he, he liked to keep that honest person in his house uh, the wrong people found out about this according to our friend Josh Sands and went and well they, they killed Baltus Rolmer he was mm. murdered mm. Uh, and his tombstone nearby reads in they mem- hog tied him on ice no it's bad stuff that is not cool <laughs> in memory of there's not a lot of dignity to being hog tied there's also not I a mean, lot mur- be murdered <laughs> yes but I mean Hog died on. There's not a lot of dignity to having your name misspelled on your tombstone either. In memory of Baltus' role, and they have it uh, Baltus as opposed to mm. Baltus, which is how it was supposed to be pronounced. So anyway, when it came to the uh, club deciding on a name for its course many years later, they thought, yeah, that's a good story. We'll go with that. And that's why it's called Baltus' role. If it bleeds, it leads on. I'm glad you've brought this up. Lawrence Donegan, this was supposed to be the year the big three, Rory, Jordan Speed, Jason Day, having all these amazing epic shootouts, which just hasn't happened and none of them have actually, it's their last chance to win a major this year. What exactly happened to that narrative? Yeah, no, that was uh, another one of golf's great uh, marketing tools that we all bought into. Um, big three, yeah. I mean, who? Well, Speed almost, well, he came pretty close to the Masters, didn't he? Uh, and, and I think personally for him, he just lost a bit of confidence after that. Uh, got to the majors. The golf courses didn't really suit Spieth. Day, 
again, he kind of mistimed his form runs. You know, he played really well before the Masters won and then won before the US Open. And, uh, you know, and then Rory's just been a curious case all year. Goodness knows what's going on there. Um, he, he, he hasn't, well, he won the Irish Open, but he hasn't, you know, apart from that, he's he's kind of flattered to deceive. He's a kind of he's turning into Luke Donald. He's one of these guys that makes a run on a Sunday afternoon when he's not got a chance to win. Yeah, it, it, well, I think in fairness, it probably was more. Or it seemed like it was going to be more than a marketing tool because Rory had already proven himself. Jordan Spieth had proven himself over a shorter period of time, and Jason Day had, um, yeah. you know, had come good on his promise. So, but but I suppose the way you explain it there, I guess it, it's just three very good players. Yeah. Uh, p- playing somewhat under their, you know, a little bit lower than their own standards. Well, it's not like um, it's not like kind of the, the tennis, you know, where there's k- k- three or four players that just absolutely have separated themselves. Um, you know, g- golf's a bit more capricious than that, isn't it? Mm. And, and there's a, you know, there's twenty five or there's thirty guys who uh, on the on the day, you know, could win a major. I mean, if you look at Wimbledon, there's only three or four guys that can win a major. Um, and as I say, I just think that it's kind of slightly mistiming it. In terms of marketing, I, 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 it's a bit of a, these things are always a marketing tool. I remember uh, the, there was a big three about maybe four or five years ago. It was going to be, we'll get this, it was going to be Rory McIlroy, uh, Ryo uh, Ishikawa and uh, Danny Lee. They were going to be the Palmer <laughs> Nicholson player of the 2000s. So, I mean, these things, the golf business is not shy when it comes to pushing these things forth. But, but yeah, I, I just think it's it's been a question of timing uh, and they just haven't quite got it right. The Rory, the Rory one's a bit of a curiosity. I, I, as I say, uh, he's really not been at it that much this year. Any any idea why or why not? Well, pff, I, well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, who knows what goes on with, with these guys uh, in their lives away from uh, professional golf. But if looking at it from what you see in the golf course, it's simply a case of, of his putting. You know, he, he, you know, lets him down, it gets into his confidence, and, and lo and behold, it's the usual Rory thing. He kind of loses it for nine holes somewhere over the first three days and, and basically plays himself out of it. And uh, and then on a Sunday, as he did at Royal Troon, he, he makes a run. Uh, as I say, he's turning into Luke Donald. One other thing maybe that people have been making an argument about to try and understand why Rory's form has taken a dip is this idea that Jason Day won so convincingly at the USPGA last year and then went on a series of unbelievable performances that proved that maybe he is, that Day is actually the most talented golfer in the world. That uh, the argument always was, Rory could always wake up on a Monday morning after a tournament and say, well, right, that didn't go, go to plan, but my best beats everyone else's best. And now people are making the argument, whether or not you agree with it, that Jason's day, Jason Day's best beats anyone else's best. Do you think that, that maybe that's a shot to the ego maybe of Rory uh, McIlroy more so than just his confidence? I, I actually haven't thought about that, but, but that might be absolutely right. And if you look at McIlroy's life, uh, he was a golden child right from day one in a golfing sense, you know, winning world champions at the age of 10 and all this kind of stuff. And he's always, and and we've, everybody's bought into it. I've bought into it. Everybody who's watched Fall of Golf for as long as I have has, has bought into it that, you know, Rory's best is better than everybody's best. And But last uh, last year, Day, you know, he was driving the ball great. Uh, even the start of this year, great ball striker and a much better putter. I mean, if you look at the play that the world match play, and I think that might have been, this goes to the point that you make, that they played each other in the world match play. I think it was a semi-final in, uh, in Austin, uh, Austin Country Club. And they both played at the absolute best they could. 
Uh, Rory's ball struck. I mean, Rory ball struck him off the golf course. But but day, you know, just just hold a lot more putts. And you know, Rory looking at that day would probably think, well, I, I can't really play any better than that. I can't really putt any better than that. And and the guy beat day holder. I think it was a twelve footer on the eighteenth to win the match. Uh, you you might have a point. And it's not often in Rory's uh, garlanded life that he's been faced with it, that, that kind of reality that perhaps he, he might not be the best. You know, perhaps it. You know, all other things being equal, he gets up on a Sunday morning, and there's some somebody somewhere else in the world gets up, and they go to the golf course, and and the guy beats Rory, um, and you never know. Uh, you, you might have a good point, and that came before that. I think did that come before the Masters? I, I'm not sure. Um, I can't quite remember. But uh, you know, and and that he hasn't really been a factor. It's a, it's a really good point, and and maybe something that we should all think about oh, yeah. moving ahead and, and looking at, at McIlroy's year. Yeah, certainly looking at McElroy's year, but I don't know. I'd be a bit wary of extrapolating too much further than that. You know, he still has a chance. As he was talking himself this week about uh, the aim being one major a year, and he still feels yeah. that's achievable. So it's just that it's been a while now. I mean, it's two years now since McElroy won, and I guess if he was to lose again today, you start talking about it in terms of. Um, you know, it being almost a slump, certainly in major, in majors terms, for, for the time being, I think, Ma- sorry, I just mean by McElroy's previous standards, but, uh, you know, I don't think his confidence is completely rattled by the fact that there's another couple of good golfers up there. I would, I would have thought that his, uh, you know, that should fire his competitive juices, if anything, Lawrence. Well, I, yeah, I, I see, I'm not, it's, pretty, it's quite a fragile um, guy, Rory, I think. Mm. I think the putting thing is just getting to him, you know. It must be very weird. Can you imagine going out there and giving yourself so many chances and, and not holding any of them, or, or holding not holding your your share of them, um, I, I think that, that that plays into a, a little bit. As for this week, I just don't think this golf course suits him really. I, I, I don't think it's you know if you look at the PGA Championships that he, that he won, Whistling Straits and uh, Valhalla, these golf courses are monstrous, absolutely monstrous, and they require big shots, big carries. Um, Baltusrol is it's a really boring. I mean, it's one of these golf courses you have no idea. You could play it fifty times and not remember the, the layout. You know, all the holes look the same. They're all kind of, you know, they're all defined by trees. I I, I just don't think it gives him. There's not enough space for McElroy to really assert himself. Of course, I could be wrong. I'm frequently wrong. Um, I'd love to see it because I don't think you know Jason Day for all he's a great player. Jordan Spieth for all he's a great player. DJ, but I still think you know. If Rory is playing on TV or whatever, you know he's the one that stops. Certainly, he stops me, and I, and I think I represent quite a lot of the the golfing community. I think he's still the most exciting player in the world, and you know I've always had Rory down as a you know an eight to ten majors winner, something like that. Two years without a major, I don't think that's you know in the greater scheme of things. But uh, it better not be three, or else I, even I might be coming off the Rory train. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, maybe another year after this year. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll forgive him a year, year and, and a couple of tournaments. Jordan Speed, I think, maybe cut to the heart of this though. Uh, with and it's interesting that you say McElroy is still the one that stops you. It's not that Speed hasn't had. It's not that he feels he hasn't had enough praise for his his major victories last year, yeah. but he does seem to be a bit fed up with the questions. He was saying this after the British Open. He was like, look. I've done pretty well this year. I've won a couple of tournaments, but every question I get from you guys, being the journalists, seems to be about how badly I'm doing. And I, and, and that's actually, he, in fairness to me, admitted that that does sort of start to affect how you're thinking about your game because it's all being held up against this uh, freakishly brilliant year of 2015 for him. 
I, I've got to laugh with these golfers. I have to say, can you imagine Jordan Spieth uh, in the English Premier League for a week dealing with the, the media there? Jesus. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, talk about cosseted. I think Jordan Spieth has had... Uh, sorry to be ranting about media coverage, but Jordan Spieth's probably had the best press of anybody in any sport for a long, long time. And, and deservedly so. He's quite a, you know... In terms of honesty and forthrightness, he's probably as good as it gets. Not that that's a high bar in the world of professional golf. But uh, to start complaining, uh, really, uh, very unbecoming, we'll leave it at that. Uh, you should just kind of get on with it. Uh, admittedly, last year was, I mean, it was historic stuff. He was battling with, you know, Woods and Hogan, you know, these kind of records. So, uh, you know, it was heady stuff. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't remember him last year saying, oh, well, um, hang on, lads, don't expect us again next year. You know, it was all about uh, pressing on, you know, you know, improving as a player, you know, trying to close them out and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so he set the standard last year and it ill behoves him to start whining about it this year when he's, uh, quotes, unquote, called to question, which he hardly was, incidentally, um, about why he, he hasn't had uh, such a stellar year this year. Um, ah, he's entitled so, to defend himself, surely, Lawrence. I mean, oh, these golf, these golf writers write about these guys every week. Oh, you know, yeah, and, and, the, the golf writers are a nasty, nasty bunch. Yeah, well, <laughs> they, they might not be the most, uh, yeah, the, the the most venomous bunch of all time. But I think he was being reasonably respectful in his responses. He was just, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. But you, you know, I just, you know, just I just hate to see professional athletes complaining. Mm. You know, it's 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 like complaining about the weather. Just get, just get on with it and 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 just do your thing. Um, actually, I, I think he might have a sniff this week because this is um, this is a, this golf course is straight out of the kind of PGA Tour uh, handbook. It's um, you know it's the kind of course they play week in week out, um, and all other things being equal, Spieth usually has a a very very good chance on a on a regular PGA Tour week. The, the greens will be a, a little bit quicker than maybe a PGA Tour event, but uh, that plays into Spieth's hand. If he, if he putts as well as he can putt, then he's got a he's got a right good chance. I mean, it doesn't put a Huge onus on straight driving, um, so uh, he doesn't drive the ball particularly straight. So I mean, let's not write off his uh, 2016 as a majorless year. Okay, so you think Speeds in with a shout? Anyone else? Yeah. Have you got an, an outside tip? Well, I, I, I think uh, Bolt, uh, Bolt, as I say, Bolter's role is one that you could turn on the TV set on a Sunday night, and it could, you could be anywhere really. Um, it, it's it has a very much a feel of a a mid-range winner. The PGA Championship, it's all, it's, actually, we've kind of been fooled the last couple of years uh, with, with Day and McElroy winning the last two. Uh, but it's generally, if you look through the recent history of it, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of playground for, I'd like to call them mid-range uh, American uh, players, you know, guys who aren't you know, going to win six or seven majors. Uh, I, I, I fancy a guy like Bill Haas, or Billy Horschel, or or actually, I, I think uh, Patrick Reed might have a really good chance. He's been uh, he's a really good player, um, a good PGA Tour player. He's been playing pretty well over the last couple of years. He looks like a guy who could could win a major, is ready to win a major, and and maybe not one of the top two, you know, the Open or the Masters, but the, you know, you sneak in here and win a PGA Championship, and maybe that will get his major career running. Okay, Lawrence, enjoy the uh, tournament. Thanks, million. No bother. All the best. Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach. Coach. 
is the game you wanted a victory, but you didn't have a wobble. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Coach, is the game you wanted a victory, but you didn't have a wobble. Well, it's just uh, the nervousness. You look frustrated on the Coach, pitch. Coach, is the game you wanted a victory, but you didn't have a wobble. You wanted victory. Well, I wanted victory. Coach, is the game you wanted a victory, but you didn't have a wobble. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call a player a baby. There you go, you have Lawrence's tip for tip for the top in the mm-hmm. USPGA, but who cares about that? The USPGA is just a warm-up for the main event in golf this summer for the Olympic Games in Rio. Uh, there, obviously, there's been a lot of criticism there and largely, well, I've always felt that they just should have tried something new. You've got you've got the USPGA and then yeah, a few days later you've got the Olympics and it's just the same type of tournament. There's nothing new at all. It's a, you know it's the exact same format. Uh, nothing there's n- there's nothing to separate it from what mm. a golf tournament normally is. Maybe the organizers should have gotten in touch with a very forward-thinking gentleman of the golf world, Bubba Watson. Check it. He's in. always got some hot ideas. Oh yeah, well his latest one. Listen to this new contraption. Golf is always looking to speed up play, and that's what the jetpack's going to do. The jetpack's going to make the rounds faster, more fun. The biggest advantage is the bird's eye view. It's going to give you perspective that you've been missing. You're looking at the course, how to play the course, how to shoot lower scores. It's almost an unfair advantage. This is a game changer. You didn't even want me to play that jetpack clip. You didn't want me to mention Bubba Watson on this podcast. I I forgot about the killer riff, though. (laughs) Yeah. It's a serious riff there. It's a jetpack, so rather than sitting there in a golf cart or walking, mm. heaven forbid, from fairway to green, you get in your jetpack, you strap up, you jetpack over all the trees, and mm. you land on the green, and then you take your putt, and then you jetpack. It, my, my main issue with it, it's supposed to speed up play. That's the central point behind this jet, jetpack idea. And to me, there's a lot of strapping in and a lot of there's goggles lot. to be put on, helmet to go on <laughs> every, every time. Seems like, yeah. I mean, particularly, say, for the less talented golfer. Mm-hmm. Let's say you scuff a shot 50 yards down the fairway. You know, you've just unzipped yourself out of the jetpack. You have to then get back into the jetpack for three seconds to get up to your terribly hit three wood that's gone 60 yards, dribbled 60 yards up the fairway. I just don't know. And I, I just don't know. Well, I, I know, don't think it's going yeah. to work out somehow for Bubba. And I think jetpack. you have a feeling that maybe... Bubba's aim with this and Oakley's aim with this I can't believe I've even named the sponsor behind it was really just to get people like us on podcasts talking about Bubba Watson and Oakley Yeah, why do I I keep saying Oakley why do I keep giving them what they want (laughs) this is ridiculous I'm not this isn't some sort of shill I don't have any Oakley sunglasses you've said it again yeah well also his hovercraft idea didn't work out no that was the original one (laughs) also there there was uh, sunglasses and sportswear brand that the the hovercraft was also heavily branded with that uh, mm, particular sports brand. Yes. Sports brand, yeah. So I I I just don't know, and I I think he may be taking you for a ride. He might do. But look at these pack. sweet sweet Oakleys I just picked up this <laughs> week. Uh, okay, what do we want to do here? Pibezo? Will you Pibezo? Let's Pibezo. Yeah, That's right. You're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there. Got the potatoes and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh yeah, there you are. <laughs> bread, yeah. Uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. So I'm here. Whoa. <laughs> okay, I'm here to chew gum and read out a shoddily written Pierce Brosnan Emmerich shout out on, and I'm all out of gum. <laughs> In a bull and has internetted a message to us. Would you like to hear it? 
No? Well, tough shit. <laughs> Dear second captains, firstly, congrats on the wedding, on. That's nice. Oh, thanks. I hope the wedding speeches were done only in poem format. Not a poem inside, ain't it? Uh, secondly, I heard your call to get some more P-Bezos, and thankfully I'm in a position to help. I've been travelling China for the last month, listening to you guys religiously and searching high and low for Ireland's sexiest export. Yes, even sexier than Trevor Giles' sleeveless jersey in the 1990s, our boy Pierce. Alas, my quest has proved futile. I don't know why you thought you'd see Pierce Brosnan over in China, but that's fine, <laughs> yeah. ain't it? However, I got a P-Bezos pick in front of the world's biggest Buddha in Leshan, Sichuan, China. You'll notice I'm wearing a second captain's t-shirt, so unlike some other scumbag, I'm not looking for any free merchandise. The sudden donning of the t-shirt for this picture led to much confusion and a half-hearted explanation as to what it was for. The English couple I had befriended were not podcast people, but assured me they'd check you guys out. ABC, Anna, always be closing. Sexually yours, scumbag and avid listener, Anna Bolden. Thank you, Anna, uh, for thinking of us even when faced with a gigantic Buddha carved into the side of a river gorge. It's, uh, it's quite an impressive Buddha, I must say. You're a lovely man, really. And uh, for those of you who are living here in Ireland, but nonetheless want to hop aboard the Pibezo bandwagon, well... Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Thanks, Pierce. You were too early with your cue, Pierce, but listen, it's fine. Fine. It's better than being too late. I haven't heard that clip in a while, and uh, we thought we we made a pr- uh, production decision to go with it, and I think it's paid off handsomely. Okay, we talked a little bit earlier on about the like, what turned out to be a golden era for the Cork footballers around 2009, 2010. They finally got over the line in 2010, but 2009 was the last time Cork and Donegal faced off in an All-Ireland quarter-final, and it finished in a score, and if Cork won goal in 27 points... It's a hell of a lot of points to... It's a point every two minutes. Two goals and ten. Yeah, normally to get up to 30 points in a game, you would think you might need a few goals. But <laughs> yeah. just the one goal and 27 points is a pr- pretty impressive impressive shooting. Uh, Michael Foley, the Sunday Times, is on the line, as is Derek Kavanagh, who was part of the Cork squad in 09. Derek, just maybe take us back to that game before we try to work out w- what's happened since and what's gone wrong. Was that one of the best performances by that, by that Cork side, do you think? I was actually an unused sub that day, um, but and I was finding it extremely hard to get into that Cork team. I, I had a lot of injuries in 09, and I just couldn't get in. And um, it was as a result of everyone playing so well. And I do remember that game against Donegal. It just was just one of those magical days for for Cork, and they just everything worked and blew them away. And I think to be fair, like Donegal were obviously not a patch on the team that they were to become two and three and four years later. Um, and in actual fact, we had a very successful win over Tyrone in the semi-final where we beat them quite comprehensively as well. So I think 2009, ironically enough, is when we were probably playing our best football uh, of that era when we were probably at our strongest. Now, I know we got pitted by Kerry in the final. Um, and I think in, in 10, I think the, it's kind of the common consent is that we fell over the line, but we got there nonetheless. But I think 09 was our probably our strongest year where we were playing our best and most confident football. Yeah, as you were saying, Derek, I mean, it was very hard for you to get into the team in 2009. And I remember a lot of the conversations around those years where the idea was that if Cork could, could finally break off the sort of Kerry shackles in, in, in All-Irelands, that once they got one into the can, it was going to be a case of who's going to stop them at that stage. I mean, that, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm sure the players probably weren't thinking like that. Or, or were you? I mean, was there a confidence like that you could be the dominant team for the next few years? 
Uh, I, I thought so, to be honest. Now, I knew I, I had pretty severe injuries, like so I got to the end of 10 and I knew my my race was run at that stage and I was I was bowing out. Like, But I, I, I got the feeling and, you know, I think Cork kicked on and won the, the, the league final the year later, beating Dublin, I think, and um, got to, I'm pretty certain it was a quarterfinal where they got beaten by Mayo, but it's funny like not looking for excuses but they did lose and I, rem- I remember in the run up to that game Kieran Sheen Daniel Goulding um, Colm O'Neill who were probably the three top forwards in the country not to mention the three top forwards in Cork and just lost to Mayo now I think they picked themselves up pretty quickly for 12 and got to a semi-final but were beaten ironically enough with Donegal and I think that's just where it unravelled I, I really think um, I think 9 is the one really that got away and um, but after winning 10 as you say the, the perception was is that we had the strength and depth and now finally the confidence of an All-Ireland medal that um, they'd just kick on and probably pick up two or three All-Irelands in a four-year period but it just didn't happen and I suppose uh, 11 and 12 are the years I think that really were missed opportunities and after that we probably had too many of the senior guys with too much mileage on the clock and um, I suppose it just unraveled pretty quickly when you get a raft of retirements and it's just very difficult to recover from and it's very difficult to build, start building a team again. You know, we, we found it very difficult to rebuild ourselves in or three or four or five. You know, it's, it's a slow process. It takes a good couple of years. It takes um, it takes a lot of variables to get right and getting big match experience. And, you know, it's it's a slow process. Michael Foley, easy one for you. Why why didn't Cork build on those successful years? Um, yeah, it was um, it was a difficult time for them. I suppose, like as Derek said, there, '09 was probably their best football in in that period. They probably peaked nearly against Tyrone, I would say, and and you know the first ten or fifteen minutes against Kerry in the All Ireland final um, were sensational as well. Um, and as you said, then probably 2010 got over the line, which was which was basically at that stage for that team. That's all it was about, which was getting that All Ireland in the can. Like you could kind of say in 2011, you know, it often happens with teams that are defending All Irelands. It doesn't go so well for them the second year around. But 2012, you mentioned Donegal there. I think you know when you think about Donegal and Cork, like that 2012 game was probably pivotal in every which way, in the sense that you know the first half of that game was absolutely fantastic and Cork played terrific football. Donegal played very well as well. But then somewhere in the, you know early in the second half, that Donegal system just started to get into Cork's head and started to uh, just started to impact on them a bit. And really since then. You know, and you could almost say since then the team has sort of been in decline. As you know, there's been retirements, um, probably one retirement too many um, when Brian Cuthbert came in at the start, which kind of took a lot of leadership out of the team. I mean, we, I don't think we can underestimate the loss of Kieran Sheehan as well. He was a guy who was looking like he was going to be, uh, you know, a, a, such a huge player for Cork, but it obviously it never it, it never transpired. And obviously, then you know you have. You know Kerry coming again, which is which which is always an issue for Cork given the provincial system and that. So um, it's difficult. It's been a difficult spell for them. I do, I still don't think they've quite come out of the spiral that began in 2012 either. I think there, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of you know Cork becoming serious serious All Ireland contenders again. Could a win uh, this this Sunday or this Saturday rather might be the first step out of that spiral? Do you think? I mean, if you look at the two teams, uh, you would say that maybe there's not a whole lot of difference talent wise. But they're, you know, even for all of the questions that are being asked about Donegal, they still seem to be operating at a far higher level than Cork are at the moment. Well, you could make that argument, we'll say, 
about Donegal in relation to an awful lot of teams over the last three or four years. You know, that if you looked at their, you know, looked at them individually, uh, maybe they don't stack up as well as, as the opposition individually. But like, you know, they, they all kind of have bought into whatever style of player system they've been playing over the last four years, however it's varied or whatever. Um, which is a huge thing for them, and I was up at the uh, at the replay against Monaghan um, earlier on there in the summer, and again you could see it all. It was all there again, you know. I mean, once they were given any bit of a chance at all by Monaghan, you know, they were cutting through the middle. There was there was loads of energy. They were they were hounding guys in defence. They, they just played really 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 well, and you, you know you can just see that there's there's still a bit there. And you know, like, you know, to be honest, I think that Rory Gallagher has done quite a good job in terms of kind of just managing managing, I suppose, the transition. From uh, Jim McGuinness on, um, and you know, again, <clears throat> with 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 the numbers that Donegal are operating with, they don't have a huge panel. I would actually argue that if you look at the Donegal panel now, you could probably pick four or five subs um, that you would use in the panel. Whereas back with around 2011, 2012, there was probably two or three. So you know, they have they have expanded the base as well. Maybe the base isn't as you know, we will say maybe the first 17 or 18 aren't as explosive and aren't as effective as the first 17 or 18 were three or four years ago, but they're still more than good enough. Like, for example, I mean, if they had if they had hung on and won the Ulster title and done two in a row, you know, there, there would have been no, no one saying boo to a goose about it. I mean, they were that, they're that good. They're good enough to do that. So that automatically makes them, um, you know, last four team uh, potential All-Ireland finalists. So, you know, that's still the level they're at. I mean, for Cork, it's a different, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a different scenario. There's been so much change, um, you know that def- there there isn't a defined system to play compared to Donegal. There hasn't been for a long, long time. Um, so you know things like that. You know they don't have that kind of structure to lean against when maybe the individual players um, aren't at that level that they need to be. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to compare the two in that regard. I think. Uh, Derek, what do you think of the? I mean, the, the amount of success that Cork have had at underage means that there's always players coming through, so many players. And say, if to, to take the Donegal example, for instance, as Michael was saying there, they've had 17, 18, 19, 20 players, and they've managed to devise a system, get the very best out of those 20 players. Have Cork nearly been hamstrung by the amount of players that they keep producing? Every year, it seems, we watch a Sigerson uh, Cup match where there's another young Cork player ripping it up. Uh, for UCC or someone, the, the the conveyor belt keeps turning, but it seems like that adds to the confusion rather than helps Cork. You have a point there, and it's something I I kind of agonise a lot for myself in my own head. I always ask the question, why? A lot of people, obviously, everyone asks the question, why are we not winning more? Why are we not winning more All Irelands with the size of the county we have, with the the players that we have? Um, and it's a very tough one to answer. I, in my head, I always, it always just comes back to it's just a cultural thing, I think, uh, in that some managers come in and they really inspire players and they inspire almost the supporters as well and generate a real buzz. You know, Billy Morgan obviously had that. And they, we just rode that wave then, I suppose, uh, for, for a significant number of years. But I'm not sure what kind of happens or goes wrong in Cork in that I just think there's maybe there's too much competition in the clubs. There's too much uh, space between the clubs in terms of geographical of getting all the players together. Um, I'm not really sure. It's just a, a kind of a cultural thing, I think. I mean, uh, I think most Cork people 
will take or leave it, uh, Cork football, you know, on the street. And I think somehow that seems to seep into players. It seems to seep into uh, their performance. And I'm not sure why. And I'm not giving you a definitive answer here because I'm, I'm giving you back probably more questions. Yeah, that's the way these, these conversations can, can often be. I mean, you say that it seeps in, this apathy that a lot of Cork GA people have towards the footballers can seep into the players. Do the players not care enough? Is that fair to say? No, I definitely like, because I mean, these questions were, were posed to me as well. I mean, I've lost embarrassing All-Ireland semi-finals and finals to Kerry. I mean, semi-finals and five, six, final and uh, seven, semi-final and eight, final and nine, you know, and it was embarrassing, like, and people, people come up to you and say, what's the deal, like, you, you know, you can't get over the line, you're not good enough, and it's just, as you say, it's apathy towards us now. I certainly cared, I was very proud of the Cork jersey, I was very proud to represent Cork, um, I put a massive amount of effort into my training and preparation and I really wanted that All-Ireland as much as any Kerry person wanted an All-Ireland. Um, we just didn't get it. We, I got one, but I believe we, I, you know, I'm not happy with that, I, I think. And I always look back with a bit of frustration when I look back at my career. I think I should have, I could have, but didn't. And that's why I'm angry at myself. And um, I do think that the players really do care. And I would think I've played with a lot of the players that are still there, and there's, a, there's obviously a new wave of players that I don't know. But I think it's very wrong to say they don't care. Um, I think they're trying their best. I think they're a team massively in tra- transition, and I think one big win will go a long way. Like like Donegal, Pippin Cork in twelve, you know. Donegal yeah. lost a big game to D- Dublin in eleven. Had they lost that big game to Cork in twelve? what would have happened you know I don't know it's all ifs and buts but I just think Cork have a good team it's on paper it's probably not as good obviously as a Kerry or a Dublin but they're trying their utmost and they're trying their best and a win against one of the big teams like Donegal I think will go a long way to turning things around and giving the young players such as Ian McGuire giving them confidence that yeah I can be a top three or four team I can be a top four or five midfielder in the country you know and that's that's what it takes it takes beating a big team in the big stage all right listen Derek very quickly do you think that they can um, turn it around for this weekend I'm as I said I would be slightly confident uh, I just think this it just reminds me of the 12 and I just think the shoe is on the opposite foot uh, here I just think Cork are developing I think Donegal are on the slide. Now, where where they are on that graph, they're coming down, but are they down far enough for Cork to beat them remains to be seen. I'm, slight, I'm confident I think Cork can beat them. OK, Derek, Kavanagh, great to talk to you. Mick Foley, thanks a million. Cheers, guys. And he is my second captain. Second captain, that's uh-huh. a humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. Derek Kavanagh keeping the faith there in Murph Cork against Donegal is 
What time? Saturday? Hang on, just let me let me write this down with my pencil here. Okay, so the games on Saturday are Donegal against Cork at uh, 4 p.m. and uh, Mayo against Westmead yeah. is at 6 p.m. Six. So okay. there, that's a double header in Crow Park. Just, so you have all that now. Am I talking too fast? Yeah. Okay. No, so, I've got that now. Yeah. yeah four o'clock. This Donegal pencil Cork. won't stop. It just it's just like Mayo when against. Start, uh, no, you're, well, you're, you've moved, probably moved on to Sunday there. Have you? Sunday's yeah. uh, quarterfinals. That's Kerry against Clare at two there. o'clock. And then the four o'clock mm-hmm. game, the uh, high point of the entire uh, weekend's action, is Galway against Tipperary. Sorry, what so, was that again? That's Galway against Tipperary Got at it. four p.m. So all those games are in Crow Park. Full stop. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. And uh, <laughs> haven't uh, used that pencil sound effect yeah, for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's, uh, it has yeah, been a while, be, and uh, I wonder why that was. Uh, so it's highly annoying to our listeners. It's extro- like it's basically like a joke board. Someone's scratching yeah. the joke You're board. You're listening to a certain tone all podcast, and suddenly mm-hmm. you've got the pencil. Yeah, we don't need that. So uh, yeah, there the that's the four games on this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a slight concern developing amongst some fans, mostly the Mayo fans, because they do enjoy, you know, caterwailing against any potential ticketing issues that may arise. So the two quarterfinals this weekend are Kerry Clare goal against Tipperary. And uh, if the crowd gets over 30,000, well, I'll be pretty surprised, uh, to be honest. On Sunday. On Sunday, for yeah. those four games, Kerry Clare and Galway Tipperary. If uh, Mayo and Donegal frank the uh, the odds that people are offering on those two games, uh, then it looks like it'll be Dublin and Tyrone, Mayo and Donegal. So Donegal against Dublin, Mayo against Tyrone in uh, the quarterfinals next Sunday. And you're talking about four of the best supported teams mm. in the country. So now there's already been a little bit of talk about this, uh, that you're looking possibly at a sellout next Sunday, having had a very, very disappointing crowd. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you are if you were picking the four worst supported teams in that potential quarterfinal lineup and the four best supported teams, unfortunately, they're all Not playing. much you can do about that, though. I can, I can see why, yeah, yeah. I can, if, if there's an individual, bar, bar the overall... Can I say the word structure, Murph? Yeah. Are the overall championship structure maybe being in need of a bit of work? I don't, I don't think there's much that can be, uh, you know, there's not much criticism that can be leveled particularly at this. No, well, you can't, there's there's actually nothing you can do. It's just rather unfortunate. Mm. That's all, Owen. That's all I'm saying. Well, give us your predictions then. You've got Donegal to win. Donegal, Mayo, They're all fairly straightforward predictions really, aren't they? Well, this Galway is the temporary is by no means straightforward. I mean, I don't... I, I, no, but in terms of actually tipping up, I mean, I, you're, you're going to tip Donegal, you're going to tip Mayo, you're going to tip Kerry, and then you're going to give tip some lip service here while actually tipping Galway. No, I'm not going to do that either. But the, the concern from Galway's point of, uh, perspective is that Roscommon's subsequent displays, uh, subsequent display last week not against Clare does not... You know, fill Golay people with a whole lot, lot of hope. I mean, what Golay have done so far is beat two Division One teams, which you would say is very, very good form indeed. Mm. But um, if you're drawing a line through Roscommon, then maybe, uh, then maybe Golay aren't quite as far along as we thought we were. But I'm still going. I'm still going to say Golay should win that game. All right, thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back to you on Monday as a bank holiday. So actually, we'll be back to you on Tuesday with two podcasts. How does that sound? So we'll have a That's football a podcast on Tuesday, getting pretty close to. Uh, the season kick off at that point in the meantime thanks very much and we will talk to you later take care
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.